Good morning. This is Community Pulse, your local report on the coronavirus pandemic in mid-Missouri. You can catch Community Pulse Mondays and Wednesdays at 9 a.m. on KOPN, and all episodes can be found online at KOPN.org and on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Today on the show, our host, Dr. Elizabeth Alleman, offers a review of vaccines, including tracking the approval process and the challenges we may face in achieving widespread distribution. There is also an exciting chance that we'll be joined by Mayor Brian Treese to talk more specifically about the state of the pandemic in Colombia. It sounds like he has a series of meetings this morning and told Dr. Allman he'd call in if he can, so hopefully we'll hear from him. As you know, Dr. Elizabeth Allman is a local family physician and host of Your Health Matters here on KOPN. She joins us via phone this morning. Good morning, Dr. Allman. Good morning, Mallory. And yes, I'm sure that the timing will be perfect to have uh, Mayor Therese on, whether it's this morning or another time. Yes. Um, and I invited him because I was thinking about vaccinations, and I could tell that he'd had a conversation with the governor about vaccination distribution, and it sounded like he had some sense about how things were going to go that might help flesh out what we know from Missouri's vaccine plan. So, I, you know, we... Um, we always start with numbers, and I just want to say that the numbers are starting to spin my head. So what I'm just going to say is that um, cases are rising uh, more rapidly in Missouri. So we are running between four and 5,000 new cases every day in Missouri. Um, uh, Columbia, Boone County uh, hit a new record with uh, 200, over 200 cases on Saturday. So it was our biggest case day, and that was, you know, just 10 days after Thanksgiving. So that's kind of not a surprise. Um, and our hospitals are, are full, and, um, you know, that word is, is a, we could challenge it, so I'm going to try to be more specific. Our hospitals are really stressed to reliably and efficiently find a bed for people who are sick enough who need one. And I just want to make sure that when I say find a hospital bed, I don't mean just, you know, a mattress with four legs on it. I mean, you know, in a room that has that's sufficiently equipped, um, staffed by uh, nursing, respiratory therapy, janitorial staff, uh, nutrition staff, uh, um, with a physician. And the, the number, I'm leaving some people out, pharmacy. Like, we are overtaxing the staffing. It's the weakest link of these um, of our hospitals and so our hospitals are having difficulty caring for meeting the demands using the resources they have to meet the demand i hear that personal protective equipment is still um, being used in a way that is not the way that they were intended to be used so we're stretching masks and gowns uh, to be using them more than we had intended and so we we just never really got to a place where there was um, ease in the system, and now we have increasing demands on the system. Um, this weekend, a uh, morgue truck was delivered to the, or maybe last week, to the Veterans Administration Hospital. And just so you know that that is the location of, like, I don't want to say this inaccurately. I think that um, the morgue in the Veterans Administration Hospital is often a uh, centralized resource that is used by other hospitals in Missouri. So it doesn't mean that necessarily the overcapacity in the morgue or the anticipated overcapacity in the morgue is limited to the, the patients in the veterans um, hospital. 
So that's a sobering thing. There have been talks about in St. Louis and Kansas City of field hospitals, but again, that does not um, handle the fact that we don't have the staff for them. So um, things are getting more intense, and um, we have Christmas coming up. So I just want to say that um, the one thing I'm asking everybody that I know and love, which is, of course, all of the listeners of KOPN, is that you um, uh, that you can that you that you join me in celebrating Christmas next year in July. And that this year what we will do is celebrate the darkness and the light that's coming into the darkness. And we'll do that separated from each other in our own homes, but with our hearts joined uh, virtually. Uh, That entering into someone else's home or into a restaurant or a bar um, are uh, high spreader events. And I think that we should refrain from doing them. So that's kind of the numbers situation. Is there some part of the numbers, Mallory, that you feel like I've left out? I don't think so. Just to to add on, though, to what you were just saying, you know, we're, we are a couple weeks away from Christmas and, and winter holidays. Um, and now is the time to start, if you haven't already, having those difficult conversations about um, changing plans. So um, I, yes. you know, have been talking with my parents and um, I imagine lots of families out there are negotiating among different comfort levels with wearing masks, with getting together, with, um, mm-hmm. you know, just what it looks like. And so just start those early because sometimes they take a while to kind of settle in. They, they do, and if you want a somewhat of a lighthearted um, approach to it, Saturday Night Live had a lovely um, uh, uh, clip on a, a bit on um, the Christmas conversation, um, and I think that might help prepare us. And I'll, I'll just share that um, for many of you. You know that Heidi is my daughter and that she's been my um, engineer on uh, Your Health Matters for many years, and in August, she moved with her boyfriend to Fairbanks, Alaska. And as we started our conversations in September or October about what would the holidays would look like, I, with a breaking heart, asked her to just stay put, that, um, that this was the year for her to just stay in Alaska and um, enjoy being in the like this extreme darkness. And it, it breaks all of our hearts to not gather during the Christmas, but I... Um, and, and I do that in the, in the service of my colleagues and friends who work in hospitals around the state. Uh, some of us remember Eric Martin, who's the, um, I, he's, don't, I'm not using in the past tense. You remember my interviews with Eric Martin, who's a physician down in Southern Missouri. Um, and his ongoing updates on Facebook are really sobering about how difficult it is for people who work in hospitals. And they do not need us to create one more bit of work for them. Um, so it's also it's about us and about our relatives, but that so that that's what I want to say about that. And then I want to say that the light shining in the darkness—that's what we're you know talking about this this time of year—is that it looks like vaccines are coming. Yes, thank yeah. goodness. So okay, but it is not a time for us to step off our game. Like I think that my prediction is that January, February, and March are going to be our hardest months of this pandemic, and I hate to say that, mm-hmm. and. That's going to be in the context of vaccines starting to come. And I think we're going to start to argue a lot about vaccines. And I think that's going to be sad. And I'm, But I'm ready for the discussion. So on December the 10th, which is this Thursday, a group of people, and I'm sorry, I don't know the exact names of those people, but I think it's somebody within the FDA is meeting to um, 
to consider, and it's expected that they will, they will say yes to emergency use authorization for the Pfizer vaccine. And Pfizer, apparently, according to the news reports, is already shipping to distribution centers. They are not allowed to ship it to actual vaccinators until they have gotten their emergency use authorization. But they're like, got it out um, ready. So they're ready to ship it. That's what they say. So there's every possibility that we will start actually vaccinating on Monday, which is very exciting. The disappointment is that it's not very many doses. So Missouri is going to get about 50,000 doses, which is a two-dose vaccine. So we're going to get about 25,000. We have 6 million people in Missouri. And probably 80% of them would like a vaccine. So we are not um, going to be able to meet the need for quite some time. The, fir- the, the first vaccine is the Pfizer vaccine that's going to be shipped. And then, and then next Thursday, um, on the 17th, they will meet again to consider, and they are expected to approve the Moderna vaccine, which um, then perhaps would be available the next Monday. Um, so by the solstice, the 21st when um, Jupiter and Saturn are coming together in the sky, it's going to be an exciting day. We may start to be able to vaccinate people with the Moderna vaccine. And the, um, and there's about 100,000 doses of that. So again, it's a two-dose vaccine. So now we're talking about maybe 75,000 Missourians could get vaccinated by the end of the year. Um, so, uh, and the challenge, this is the, this, I, I'm going to say, I think this may be my one snarky comment. I have heard people say that, oh, well, and then there's going to be the Christmas holiday, which will slow things down. I do not believe that any holiday or weekend should interfere with the distribution of this vaccine. That's, that's going to be my statement, is that we are talking about vaccinated healthcare workers, and healthcare workers work on Sundays, and they work nights, and they work holidays. And so saying that the Christmas holidays are going to slow down us vaccinating people you know, we we transport uh, transplantable hearts through the highway patrol. We can do this if we want to. Okay, so that's my one snarky comment. So these are both messenger RNA vaccines, and this is a new technology that has not been used before. It's been being developed over, I think, a decade or so, and the thought was that it might be really helpful in the treatment of cancer, and it still may be. Um, so what, so I don't know if people remember from biology that our chromosomes, our genetic material is DNA, deoxyribonucleic acid, but we don't have to know that DNA and it's that double helix. It's stranded and coiled together and in the nucleus of our cells. And that what happens is those chromosomes uncoil in this beautiful dance and then, uh, an enzyme called transcriptase helps create RNA, which is ribonucleic acid, and it's very similar, but it does not make that double-stranded um, form, and it doesn't make chromosomes. And then it, the messenger RNA message, t- takes the genetic code and takes it as a message out into the larger part of the cell, outside of the nucleus, into the cytoplasm of the cell, where another transcriptase enzyme um, decodes and creates a protein out of that messenger RNA. So DNA makes RNA, RNA makes proteins. And then these proteins do this amazing, beautiful coiling dance. And then they are, you know, enzymes or 
um, uh, channel through the, the cell membrane. Um, and they will be secreted out of the cell. And then here it is, the magic of our immune system will notice these proteins it's never seen before and will make antibodies to it. So um, these, so that what they're going to be is that the vaccination is little snippets of messenger RNA that will code for the spike protein on the coronavirus. So these, these little things that are sticking out from outside of the vaccine, the virus shell that create the corona, this crown around them that you can see on electron microscopy. And we think it is that which binds to the ACE2 receptor to gain entrance into the cells of our nasal passages and our respiratory system. Have I confused you yet? I'm, I'm following, I think. I mean, I, I, okay. might, I might be too, um, too uninformed to even ask a good question at this <laughs> point, but, but I, uh, I appreciate so that's your explanation. What's happen, you know, microscopically. So what the, the, the vaccine is a little, that little snippet of messenger RNA that codes for the spike protein. And then it's wrapped in a little lipid layer so that when it comes against the um, many of the cells in our body, it will, you know, the cell membrane is a double lipid layer. And so when fats like fats, and so when the fats come together, those tiny little um, um, bubbles of a little bit of fat with the messenger RNA will allow the messenger RNA to get into the cell. Now, the fact that that works astounds me, and I am just mystified, and I... Um, and once again, in awe of what we can do with science. So um, these vaccines, RNA and DNA, are pretty unstable molecules. So the Pfizer vaccine, the initial one, is, um, has to be kept at negative 70 degrees centigrade, which is negative 90-something Fahrenheit, which mainly means dry eyes. And um, once it is thawed, it has to be injected within a couple of days. And it comes in large shipment uh, cases that have between 900 and 1,000 um, uh, doses in it. And so those, those are the, that's the ones that are coming out this week, maybe. And they will be, the Missouri vaccination plan says that those will be um, uh, used in, the, in Kansas City and St. Louis because trying to break those cases up and ship them out again is really challenging. So they've decided that if they can possibly do that and still meet what they call equitable distribution, they're going to keep those Pfizer vaccinations in Kansas City and St. Louis because the Moderna vaccine that's coming out next week can be stored in a regular refrigerator or freezer. It needs to be like, you know, right around uh, freezing, just a little bit above freezing. So those will be distributed around the rest of the state. So then the question is, um, uh, let's see. So it's two-dose vaccine, and it's, I, the Pfizer vaccine is given on day one and then again on day 21, and then we expect to see meaningful levels of antibodies by about day 31 from the first shot, so about a month after the first shot. So the first vaccinations are given on Monday, we would expect that the first person would be fully protected by a vaccine um, by uh, the middle of January in Missouri. And it will only be uh, about 25,000 people. So who's going to get them? This is the question. And it sounds like Missouri's vaccine uh, distribution schedule, which 
um, the, the plan is complex and um, there's a lot of terminology in the plan that has to do with government agencies and hierarchies and the way they usually dance together in contracts and such that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But when I could get through to the part that um, speaks to my uh, vocabulary, it appears that the priority is healthcare workers who deal directly with patients in nursing homes. So that'll be a first. You know, in general, um, when we think healthcare workers, the first thing we think about is um, people who work in hospitals. But the idea is that most of the um, burden on our hospitals right now is caused by people who get very sick from these, from this infection, and the people who are most likely to get very sick from this this infection are the elderly and the sick, and those and and who live together in places like um, long-term care facilities. And we think that the infection rate in those facilities is driven by community spread through the workers who come and go because we're really limiting family members, which is a tragedy. Um, but uh, so this is an idea of trying to take the, and most of the deaths are in people over the age of 65 and those with specific healthcare, um, uh, um, obesity, hypertension, and um, uh, heart disease. Dr. Alleman, we have Mayor yes. Brian Treese on the line. Hey. Good morning, Mayor Tree. Thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Doctor, and thank you for the invitation. Yeah. So um, I am going to switch gears. We were just, we were actually perfect timing. We were just talking about the Missouri vaccination plan, and I was saying that my guess, best uh, evaluation of the written plan was that the first people to be vaccinated in Missouri would be healthcare workers who work in nursing homes and long term care facilities. Is that also your understanding based on having? had a conversation with the governor. Sure, and I, I met with the governor on Tuesday morning and again spoke with Dr. Randall Williams, the health department director on Wednesday. Um, at this point, or as of, as of noon Wednesday, Missouri was scheduled to receive about 51,000 Pfizer vaccines um, early next week, followed by 105,000 uh, Moderna vaccines the week of December 21st. Um, the priority 1A population for those is both nursing home workers, but also healthcare providers, of which, uh, and you may say, oh, that's great news. We have 162,000 um, vaccines on the way. The problem is there are 350,000 eligible people in that first round of, of inoculations to do. And each tray uh, has about 95 vials. Every vial has five doses of the vaccine. Um, the Pfizer product has to be kept at sub-zero temperatures. That coupled with the holidays and some public confidence issues, you begin to see the challenge that exists to get that first round of vaccines into the hands of, of those who care for our most vulnerable populations. Right. Yeah. And um, it sounds like they were, they're also planning on keeping the Pfizer vaccine, the one that has to be kept so cold, uh, in Kansas City and St. Louis because of the issues of having to unbox them and then ship them again. They don't want to have to redistribute them again. 
That's right. And but I, I am optimistic that Columbia, because we are a catchment area for both, you know, twenty five counties that, that come here from Sweet Springs to Warrenton and 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 Hannibal to Rolla for their health care, that we will get um more than our, our, our population share of, of those vaccines. Um, the next round of those vaccines, and again, hopefully in the month of January, the, um, the, the manufacturing and distribution um, logistics uh, will be accelerated. But by February 1st, the next highest priority uh, of populations would be teachers, healthcare provide, I'm sorry, teachers, um, childcare providers, um, in Missouri, of which there are three million, so three million, roughly half of Missouri's um, six million um, person population would be eligible for that next round in February, and you know it could be early spring before um, the rest of us get on that list. And I think it's, I think it's probably appropriate to to earmark those uh, vaccines for for those that are dealing with um, persons with comorbidities. Absolutely. And, and just to remind our listeners that just add a month onto your thinking about from the date that a person actually gets their first injection to the date when we expect them to be um, uh, fairly reliably protected from getting an infection. So if we start to vaccinate people in mid-December, we won't have anybody who's actually immune from a vaccine until mid-January. And so if it looks like the population won't be getting them until April or May, then we're talking about May or June before we are actually going to see herd immunity, um, which is going to make our spring much easier to deal with than our, than our winter. Yeah, and until then, it's so important that we follow the advice and guidance of our public health professionals and physicians like you um, to help slow that spread. And the easiest thing we can do is to wear a mask, um, you know, wear a mask to protect your family and protect the economy so that we can get back to normal sooner. But we all need to... Yes, and we should stay out of places where you can't wear a mask. And, and so I'm going to ask you um, where, what do you think the criteria would be, Mayor Treese, for closing our bars and restaurants to indoor service? Well, I think we have to have, uh, look, I committed back in February to follow the facts of these, um, uh, of this novel coronavirus. And, and part of that is um, looking at evidence of community transmission. And, you know, I think I, I get people want, there are some people in our community that want us to close bars and open schools. But Instead of equating our schools to eating and drinking establishments, we need to look at our schools as, um, you know, a, a, an employer with 2,000 employees and 14,000 consumers that sit uh, in a chair for eight hours a day. And how do we safely physically distance and, and um, you know, the masking and testing and tracing associated with that? Um, I think that's much different than... Um, the bars and restaurants that are already limited to 50% of their capacity in closing early and, you know, until other, um, uh, the balance of, of the unincorporated area of Boone County and our surrounding counties that are coming here for health care, coming here to shop in our stores until they adopt those same mask protocols. I think we're striking the right balance right now and following the facts as they, uh, as they lay. Do you want to talk at all about the impact in your thinking about a um, an accessory morgue that got delivered to the VA hospital last week? 
Well, and I think that's in an abundance of caution. And, and I saw the, the, the article in the Missourian. And, um, you know, I think part of that is is a logistics issue. And I'll, I'll give you a uh, another scenario in, in uh, Saline County, just a couple um, counties over um, the, the county corridor there also um, has a, an accessory morgue. In this case, it's a refrigerator truck of, of all things from uh, the pork processing plant. And and you know, in in Saline County, for example, the funeral home has have freezer space for three bodies, and the coroner has uh, space for three bodies. Um, when there is a lag in um, getting signatures for death certificates, death certificates, etc., sometimes they uh, exceed that uh, limited capacity. Um, you know. Look, the VA is a is a designated catchment area for for veterans um, from five states. Um, you know, sadly, that is um, you know uh, an inevitable outcome of of a small percentage of these cases. Um, but I do think it is a warning sign to our community that if anyone believes this is a hoax or believed it would be gone after the election, um, you know, we are just now beginning to see. Uh, the second wave of this, we're about 10 days out of Thanksgiving um, and right before Christmas, right before New Year's, and it's going to be a deadly winter. And that's why everybody needs to take those simple precautions to, you know, stay home if you feel sick, wear a mask, do not commingle households, all of those those things that our public health professionals and physicians have been saying for months. And I'm just going to push you, push you here on the air. And if you're a public health, if you're a public official and you've been elected to lead, I would hope that you would read carefully the guidelines from the Centers for Disease Control and the White House Task Force that have recommended that bars and restaurants be closed to indoor service right now while our health facilities are suffering so badly. Yes, in the um, county. You know, to say that you're not going to act because somebody else hasn't is really not the leadership I was hoping for, Brian. I, I really I respect that you've got a lot of pressures on you, but, boy, that is not the um, – the, I mean, like, I, I could have said, well, nobody else is providing testing in Columbia, and it's going to cost me a lot of money, so I won't either. Um, well, I, if, I if, you know anything, we if you know anything about my record, you know that I have not waited for Jefferson – City or Washington, D.C. to do something before I acted. Columbia is one of the first cities to adopt a mass protocol, and whether it's on the pandemic response or gun safety or community violence, we will do those things that it takes. But to be fair, there are um, we have to do it in a measured approach. And when 75 to 80 percent of our hospitalizations are from counties that do not adopt the same protocols, I have to look at what are we doing in Columbia and what is the effect that it has and the marginal impact that it would have on those hospitalizations is not going to be measurable until those other counties do those things. And that's why I've worked with mayors from Boone County uh, as well as my other uh, colleagues across the state to emphasize how important this is and the disproportionate impact uh, that we feel here in Columbia. Mayor Therese, thank you for joining us this morning. I know that you're a busy person. I value your time, and I really appreciate you being willing to come on the air with us. Um, uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Have a great day.
Yeah, you too. So, Mallory, I'm just wondering, in these last couple of minutes that we have, what we need to talk about about vaccinations that will help us understand what's going on. Well, I just wanted to point out that, um, you know, I don't know how specifically accurate it is, but over the weekend I was playing with the New York Times, you know, how far are you in line to get the vaccine? Uh, have you seen oh, that Oh, I didn't page? know there was a thing like that. Yeah, That's so you, you can fill out um, your just basic information, what county you live in, how old you are, if you have um, any health considerations that would kind of bump you up in line. Um and if you're an essential worker, a healthcare worker, and it shows you, you know, out of a uh, hundred people in, if, if Missouri, if the population of Missouri was a hundred people, I'm about halfway down the line. So it's, it's an interesting way to see, kind of visualize how distribution might work. I'm sure things will change, but. Yeah. So the one thing I do want to say is that there are several other vaccinations, vaccines in the pipeline. So um, the first two are these messenger RNA vaccinations, but there are some more on the way. There's one from Johnson & Johnson that they're expecting to have be available for January or February, which is actually, uh, I don't have the specifics, but it's more of an old-fashioned vaccine. So it's, I think, an attenuated um, coronavirus that has been modified a little bit. Um, So it's more of a whole virus uh, vaccine and not just the messenger RNA um, and those are, we have a lot more, um, what do I want to say, a lot more uh, track record with those. Um, and so we expect, who knows how many, um, and I'm just going to be skeptical, we were told that there would be, you know, way more doses coming to Missouri than what is actually happening. So um, it, it appears that people are trying really hard to get these vaccinations together, but apparently there are issues about components and supply chain issues for that. So here we are with the whole, you know, toilet paper issue again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, just one last thing that I've been reading about is that even if you have the antibodies, you know, you've gotten COVID and you've recovered, um, it's still advisable, correct me if I'm wrong, still advisable to get the vaccine once they're out. Is that true? So that is a great question, Mallory, and I have been looking to see, you know, who's recommending what and what the science that is based on it. So I have not been able to find that yet. So that is a fascinating thing. I'm going to guess that most of us would maybe agree that those people wouldn't be first in line. Right. Um, But that, uh, yeah, there probably would be a recommendation that they also be protected against um, infection and reinfection. Great. Well, thank you for today, Dr. Alleman. Is there anything else you want to leave our listeners with? I don't think so, but I just want to say this is why I say cultivate a cheerful confidence in your ability to handle a a viral illness. Because what we're talking about is is the mysteries of this immune system that will make antibodies. And if we can, um, that, that, that our mental health affects our brain health, which affects our immunological health. And so that's why it's, it's really an evidence-based thing to say, yes, wash your hands, wear your mask, take your vitamin D, and cultivate a cheerful confidence that your body can handle a viral illness. And then um, we'll be in your ears again next week, and J- Jenny will be on the air with you on Wednesday. 
That's it for today's edition of Community Pulse. Special thanks to Mayor Brian Treese for coming on the show today. If you missed part of this program or want to share it with your friends, you can find it later today at KOPN.org and also on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. As always, we want to know what questions, comments, and insights you have related to coronavirus. Leave a message for us at 573-874-1139 or email gm at KOPN.org. You can catch us again live on Wednesday at 9 a.m. with host Jenny Chadwick. Thank you so much for tuning in to KOPN 89.5 FM. Between the Lines is up next. Stay tuned.